A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And today we are talking about The Rock on TIJ as my good friend and Black Veil Bride's frontman Andy Beersack returns to pull back the veil on the Bride's new album, Veil. It's out now and Andy thinks it's the best of the, ba- of the band's career. Of course, every band says that, but you'll find out exactly why Andy thinks that. He's also sober and living a healthier lifestyle these days, which is one of the reasons why he loves the record so much. He's talking about what inspired him to give up the booze ski and start working out and eating better. Uh, he's sharing stories from some of his drunkest moments on stage and in the studio, like the time he mooned the audience at the Download Festival and the time he jumped off a statue during a gig at Hollywood and Highland in Los Angeles. You can actually see that online. Uh, he actually broke his ribs, but he finished the show like a true rocker. And he's also a diehard Kiss fan. We both love us some uh, 80s Kiss and uh, uh, some 70s Kiss. And he's got some thoughts on Gene Simmons' new Vault release, his favorite Kiss lineup of songs, and the uh, Kiss video that terrified him as a child. You'll find all of that out coming up right now with Andy Beersack, great guy, and he returns to pull back the veil right here on TIJ starting now. So it's been a couple of years since I saw Andy Beersack, who's about four inches taller yeah. than you were from the last time. And you I had you, surgery. You did? Yeah. yeah. The leg stressing surgery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, calf, uh, calf, not calf implants, yeah. shin implants. Shit, I cut it off right at the knee, and I put somebody else's Just leg. Just keep going. Slightly taller I, I, that or you're yeah. wearing Paul Stanley boots. Yeah. Funny quick story. Um, I texted you and said, come on up whenever you're ready. Yeah. Knock on the door. I let loose with a big, uh, oh, yay. Uh, got yeah. some good-looking girls. <laughs> It was the maid asking uh, if I wanted some water. Yeah, so yeah. So when you, when you came back the second time, it wasn't... Uh... Yeah, it was just the one. But I will say that there's... Uh... It, it is a uniquely specific thing to our friendship of yeah. of liking Kiss that I knew for sure I had the right area when I heard a Paul Stanley. Like, there's not really many things in my life where I would knock on a door and then hear a Paul Stanley voice and be like, I've met the right place. Unless you're actually at Paul Stanley's. Sure, yeah, which is not, you know, not Wait, something I do. Yeah. It's a funny story. So I, I, uh, I just told this to Scotty and I was at his house earlier today. So when the fires are going on, I was texting my friends, making sure that everything's cool. Paul's one of the guys I text. And I'm like, hey, man, like, you okay? And he's like, yeah, we're fine. You know, I was a little bit freaked out watching the TV. But then I called the fire station, and yeah. they said it's okay. I'm like, 
Firehouse. Oh, he got so close. Give me Firehouse, and I want yeah. to say, did you mean the Firehouse, Paul? Yeah. But I'm like, he's probably saying, cough, dude. I'm gonna burn here. And yeah. Give me a kiss. Do you think he said? firehouse to one person that called and then he's like i can't do that i have to specify station from now on i know at one point in time i sent something along the lines of like um yeah we'll work it out it's 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 as easy as it seems yeah or something like that sure. or or yeah. to, like well i'll see you tomorrow we're gonna fall in love fall in love some yeah. nothing yeah i don't think he likes getting those i was kiss. gonna say if he liked it you could have just gotten into a where all your conversations are nothing but lyrical <laughs> that's like should be build a- nothing but every possible way you talk to him you try to fit in a, a we kiss should lyric. do that one day just like yeah. you and i have a conversation where we use nothing, nothing but kiss lyrics it's kiss possible when you have 900 records over the course of yeah, 150 years you can definitely do it yeah have you listened to uh um, uh, the Pod of Thunder podcast. No, so you got to check this out. It's really cool. So it's these three dudes from the Chicago area, and they do yeah. one show per song. Okay. So they have. You a, told me about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. just like they've been. The reason why uh, I thought of that is because you mentioned. Oh yeah, they got nine. These poor have been doing this for i think four years now yeah and they're still not done yet yeah they've still got another 50 it's gonna songs go on to forever go. you know if they because put- now you know with jeans like box set they'll have to do all of those <laughs> it's gonna go on forever forever and ever yeah. are you gonna buy the vault i you know what like i i don't think i'm gonna get the vault but i will i will be curious to know what's in the vault you know well, what i mean like apart from like i know that there are certain songs that i'd love to hear the demos for mm. but you know as a musician like demos it's it's sometimes like you you don't you almost don't want to feel the level of attachment to someone else's like beginning of their work but then on the other hand you know as a fan you certainly want to hear the derivation of everything so i'm a little bit split on it well and the thing is like i had him on and he brought the, well, actually he was impressed so he has the vault with him and this yeah. thing it's like a road case i imagine he carries it at all times it, it right now. <laughs> it's like when he had the the kiss phone case and he would show it and everything this is different though. this thing is huge it's like a yeah. road case yeah um and you open it up and it's got uh, the the this book inside of it yeah which is I don't know how big it is. It's got two hundred pages, five hundred pages, but it's like a big coffee table book. Yeah. And the book alone was like, okay, so the vault is two grand. I paid how much did you pay for did you buy history when it came out? I think I paid yeah. like five hundred I mean, bucks. It's pretty for expensive that. for a, a book situation. Yeah, but yeah. it's got and then it's got hundred and fifty songs and yeah. just goes I didn't get the monster book though. I didn't either. Yeah. I stepped out of that. Yeah. You know, but it does have the the uh, Van Halen brothers playing on Christine sixteen. Yeah. Like those sort of things. And then it's got um a little tidbit, like a little souvenir from his collection. So this one had like a scarf and like a fan painted Gene Simmons mask. So yeah. you get that sort of thing. Well, well, you know, I like I've I've probably told you I know that there's a certain element of the Kiss fan base that doesn't like the action figures and all the like kitschy yeah, yeah. accoutrements. I love it. Like right. I love so the the tiny Gene. I actually that was the first thing that I talked about when I saw it was like, well, now there's a Kiss figure that I I have to find a way of getting because yeah, you know, the Gene Simmons plain clothes Gene Simmons with the sunglasses. It's on. like when I was a kid, I I wish that they had made a plain I don't know why I wanted a plain clothes Bruce Wayne action figure so bad because mm-hmm. I in my mind like when I was like 5 I could have done like oh well yeah, yeah, yeah. now he's about to get into the suit and I remember I had one where he was like it was the mask would come off or whatever and that was the coolest thing for me so as a little kid if I had my kiss figures and then I had Gene like not in his makeup that would have been the best very cool but yeah. even I like the idea of the non uh, of like you know a Clark Kent doll they never yeah. sold those no then they never sold Batman playing because the concept of Clark Kent is stupid in general. <laughs> Put the glasses on. Yeah, I mean it's off. it's too hard for me. Like there's there's no suspension of disbelief for me. If you have any a- amount of being like analytical and watching it, you're like, nope, that doesn't work. You could at least put like one of the Groucho Marx like nose and and mustache glasses. Sure, 
I wish that that would have been. It wouldn't. Isn't it a be shame better. that we didn't develop Superman? Because if we could go back in time and have Clark Kent be essentially just Groucho Marx, and then at other <laughs> times, he, oh, he's a hero now. But it, you know, I'm just laughing at the fact that uh, is thinking back that you actually stopped me from creating a Paul Stanley uh, smear job <laughs> when he stood yeah. me up on the podcast, yeah. which stood me up. He, he didn't do it, and I was so yeah. I was like, "We should put together one of those things where use his audio and I ask yeah. questions, and we just bury him." You're like, "Dude, stop it!" To this day, though, I mean, now you're friends with him, so it's yeah. a little bit different. But if 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 that had not happened, I still feel like it would be a funny thing. But you wouldn't want now. It's like you wouldn't want to offend your buddy. No, he's always my know. friend. But I was, yeah. I, 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 I think we even got to the point where, like, you know, you were like, "What? You just want to kidnap him? Like, <laughs> take him yeah. out of the parking yeah. lot and beat and, him up?" Well, there's so many. Like, like to go back to like the fact that there's so many songs. There's so many audio clips. Obviously, the "Let Me Get This Off My Chest" thing that yeah. everybody's heard. Like, yeah. that's somebody. You know, I think it's funny because being a huge Kiss fan, obviously, like you know. You know everything about Kiss, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you're familiar with everything. It's very rare that you find something that is new to you, and because the internet has allowed for people to find stuff that maybe they didn't know about before, buddies of mine who were kind of like ancillary Kiss fans will find things like the "Let Me Get This Off My Chest" YouTube video and send it to me, like, "Dude, you got to see this." And I feel like the most kind of like over it guy of like, ah. I've known about that for you. I had the cassette, like you know. Yeah. So I, I want. I guess in some ways, it's very interesting to think that there is this band that you know. Obviously, we bonded over that and many other things. But there's this band that uh, has stood the test of time so much that there's still new information and new fun things that are coming. Multi generational too. It's interesting. I, I think I might have told you this, and if I didn't, so I took my son and his friend to Kiss last year. Yeah. And it was like in was it Moline, Illinois, or some one of those places? Yeah. As you do. As you do. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's the constant, you know, what's the best lineup? And you and I are very – we love the revenge era. Sure, and yeah. um, we, I, so I take them. And, you know, people complain about, you know, well, Tommy Thayer's in the band and I wish he wouldn't wear the makeup. Listen, those kids watched Tommy Thayer and walked out of there going, Tommy Thayer's the greatest guitar player in the world because he shot the bombs off and he had the <laughs> fire and he played the solo and, you know, the whole deal. And to them, Tommy Thayer is their – Ace or there, yeah. Bruce Kulick or yeah. that, you know, I, I just like Paulie says, where, wherever you get on the Kiss elevator and whether you ride us all the way to the top or you get off, we're happy you just joined us for a little bit of the ride. And I just saw that like, wow, like these kids have no idea who Ace Frehley is. They, the spaceman to them will always be Tommy Thayer. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I hear that and yet it's still so hard because like I'm someone who is not original four only guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I grew up in the 90s. And for me, that was an entirely different era. And so by the time I came into the KISS fandom, my my kind of association with the band wasn't necessarily the original four so much as it was I got in right before they put the makeup back on, right? Like as, right. as a hardcore fan, that was when my fandom started, right, with Revenge. And so I saw the original four as the ones with makeup. But when I was a kid, I thought, well, I suppose Bruce could put on the makeup. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, yeah. it didn't register. But now that we hear all this talk about KISS 2.0 and all that, I admittedly, as much as I say that I'm one of those guys who's not original for only, I can't see the band without Gene and Paul. And I think that's because of my age and my perspective. I, I wrote a book and I'm, I'm almost done with it just kind really? of about like my my life. And it's not a memoir because I'm 27. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> it's just like stories about growing up in the Midwest and trying to be a rock star and kind of the, the funny stories and stuff that happened. Yeah. yeah, it's just a collection of funny stories and, and stuff from my childhood. But I did a significant portion of the book about Kiss because it was such a it is such an important part of my life. And I kind of realized while I was writing it like the artistic significance of the band and how weird it is that there isn't as much credit or um 
I guess, integrity that is put on who they are because of the makeup and everything else. But when you consider the fact of how odd it is at the time, yes, there were precursors. Yes, there was Alice Cooper and stuff. But it was such a odd and innovative thing. That is why it's carried on, and that's why a young kid who knows nothing about anything that that has to do with the history of the band doesn't care about 1975, but is still interested in it because it's this really cool visual and this odd thing. Right now, as it stands, it doesn't stand to reason that a bunch of men in their late 60s can stand on stage in Halloween costumes with things blowing up around them and entertain a child. We live in the era of iPhones and iPads and all this other stuff. How is it that that can still catch the attention of a young kid um and so it's kind of an interesting case study that i don't think many people dive into is this kind of cultural significance to the band it always kind of makes me um it's always interesting to me that you talk about okay, andy beersack from black revised and chris jericho from fozzy or a wrestler guy whatever there was a time when people went andy's in a band that's never going to work or jericho yeah. wants to be i always like thinking back to 1974 mm-hmm. when kiss shows up in those costumes i bet you people were laughing absolutely look at these idiots <laughs> and if you and i were sitting there in 1974 we might have been thinking the sure. same thing until you it's get over that true. hump where it becomes cool yeah you really have to be focused on your vision that's what i love about gene and paul and why they're so successful as yourself and, and for guys like us because once you become successful doing something that everyone thought you would never do then you become dangerous sure because now you have the confidence to go okay i'm gonna write a book i'm gonna start a movie i'm gonna yeah. go you know make my own pinball machine or whatever yeah. it may be i always say like i always think of the first rehearsal for a lot of bands like when they first all got together the the two that always make me laugh when i think about is the first show where the rest of the band saw Mick Jagger, they're like, that's what you're going to do? Like that? <laughs> Good call. The dance thing? That's like, okay, cool. Like before it was Mick Jagger, right? Like there had to Great have been a moment where call. guys are like, for real? Like that's it? That's awesome. Or the first time, like every Guns N' Roses is in a room for the first time. And then Axel starts to sing and they're like, that's the voice you're going to do? <laughs> that like falsetto crazy screechy thing? <laughs> and then it becomes... I mean, I'm not criticizing it because those are two of the greatest things in rock music history. The, I mean, it's it's you can't you can't deny that. But at the beginning, it fascinates me the idea of like it's a great call. It's like you know, and if you have that confidence in your abilities, I just think from my own experience, like when I started wearing a scarf, yeah, oh my god, that's so stupid. And now everyone wears a freaking. I have a headband on now. If I was yeah. on TV, yeah. there'd be fans wearing headbands. Of course. There already is. They come yeah. sign these because, oh, Jericho's doing it. Doing that But you really have to be, like that Mick Jagger thing is so great. Can you just imagine, <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah, they're just sitting there like, what? What? What, what is this? What is, <laughs> what is the pouting, yeah. the lip? Why? Like, because, you know, it's not like there was a conversation. I very seriously doubt that he sat and said, hey, I'm going to pout my lips out yeah. and walk like a chicken across the stage. Yeah. So just be prepared for that. It was just something that happened and then he carried it. And right, now right. it's, now it is quite quintessential rock and roll frontman stuff you yeah, know absolutely i was watching uh, the, the the live aid and my favorite gig from that and probably one of my favorite gigs of all time is queen yeah and freddie at one point he's wearing really tight like light blue 80s jeans and a white wife beater that's super tight that's exactly what i'm wearing right now for the listener <laughs> <laughs> and at one point he just turns his back to the crowd and bends over yeah like touches his toes so he's basically just bent over this ass just pointed at the crowd i'm like yeah. I love that. Like, what balls? Just I'm just gonna <laughs> bend over and moon the crowd with my jeans on. You sure. Know, like, yeah. Let the crowd can just bang me up the ass. That's what I'm saying. Like, I have. Uh, I have unfortunately not. I took my jeans part off the first time we played Download Main Stage. I. Uh, I. You know. I drank a lot back then, and right. uh, I was like. 
I'm gonna. Well, my my thing was I challenged because you know you get bottled when you, especially if you're a young band that's playing at a high up. You know, okay, so European festivals, it's not uncommon for particularly young bands that are maybe kind of, you know, not necessarily most people that are there to see the monsters of rock, right? If you're playing on the main stage and you're new to that scene, it's very common to kind of be, you know, people will put you in your place. And so we went out there and we had all of our makeup and crazy stuff. We had costumes made just for download. And it's like, I had a horse tail and a big (laughs) feather armband and I'm wearing like this crazy stuff. And we go out there and of course, like half a second into the first song, it's just a parade of bottles that are coming down. And I was like, well, what can I do that will be a moment that no matter what it shows a certain level of humility and also says f you to the to the audience and uh you know not necessarily the audience as a whole but the people who were throwing sure, stuff and so i went down and one of my favorite photos is it was the moment that i realized i have no butt right it was when because i never thought about it right <laughs> and then i saw this photo of me at the end of that long you know if for anybody who, who doesn't know there's a long kind of one of those narrow middle stage things that the singer can walk yeah, like down ego ramp way out into the crowd so i'm at the end of that and there's photographers all on the other side and the next day i look at the photos and i'm mooning you know hundred thousand people and it's just no butt it's just back into legs and i'm like <laughs> that was it's weird that that's the thing i took away from it the most <laughs> but now it's a photo of like wow i should really you know i should do some squats or something <laughs> I think when you're like a, like a girl, like you see like girls like probably like yeah. for some reason they're looking at their ass, like, but it's yeah. nothing a guy does. I had never thought you about never it. realized that, and it's fine. I went back to not caring. I but remember in that moment. You know. I remember Triple H years ago. Jericho's got a muffin ass. I'm like, what? Yeah. Do I? He's never okay. He got a muffin it. ass. I never thought about my ass before. Yeah. Like, is, uh, do I have a nice ass? Like, you know, I don't. The know key if guys is, are your legs that. falling asleep on the toilet? <laughs> if the answer is yes, then there might be an issue, and that has for me been been the problem for you know. If you have to use a butt pillow when you're sitting in traffic so your legs don't fall asleep that might be the problem i love it too they show up like super tight skinny jeans on and i think your legs are about the size of like uh, the bottle of vodka right there oh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean probably- it's it's just all legs it's like i was designed by tim burton it's you know like <laughs> yeah. you Somebody know i said it's the one from willy wonka where the guy gets stretched out and just kind of wanders yeah absolutely. But, you, but you mentioned that you were moving yeah, so, no. I mean, it's funny that we brought up the monster book because I literally thought as I said it, man, that would have been a pain in the ass to move because oh, it's like 90 pounds. It was huge, wasn't it? Like, yeah. It really was. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I had a situation where it wasn't necessarily any kind of danger, but uh, uh, my my wife and I, our home address somehow wound up online, oh. and we started getting a lot of, like, at first it just started with nice gifts and stuff. You know, people throw stuff over my fence, and it would be whatever, Batman, whatever it is. And then it started to kind of be people standing outside a lot and people taking pictures with our mailbox and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, it kind of culminated in these two people, or sorry, three people that came from another country and were out in our yard. And one of them was claiming to have a significant injury. And all they needed to do was to come into my house. And I kept trying to call an ambulance for them and they would say no. And then it was just this big dramatic thing. Yeah. And so... Ultimately, what wound up happening was that they suddenly the injury went away and then they followed me like around my house and then they trailed. And I just thought, you know, I tour a lot. Um, it's not really in my best interest to, to be in a situation where my wife's home alone and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's weird because it's, it's a really hard thing to tell somebody without sounding like a jerk. I mean, like, I'm so famous. I need to move. You know, that's really not it. It's, it's just that there's a certain level of security that comes from knowing that maybe you're in a little bit more secure place. And I'm not saying that even the people that came and did the kind of, you know, skit on the front yard or whatever, 
and I'm not even, maybe there was a legitimate thing. The fact that it was going on and that they were adamant that, oh, Andy, I need your phone number and all this other stuff, like, it starts to become problematic to where you're like, maybe we should go to a, a different place. And not because I'm above human interaction, but because there's a certain level of security and kind of like, Absolutely, I like to keep dude. to myself. So, um, yeah, so because of that, we just thought, you know, we were thinking about moving for a while and it was just kind of the like, well, you know what? If we're going to do it, let's do it now. Let's find some place that's a little bit more kind of secluded and, and nice. We found a great house that we love. And so mm -hmm. it's just the biggest thing now has just been it's kind of been a pain in the butt to move. You don't realize how much shit you have until you move. Yeah. My garage has been the worst. <laughs> so when we're done here, I got to go back to the garage in my old place. By the way, this is the most annoying part is living in the new place and being it's been now a week of us living in this new place. I have to keep going back to the old place because there's stuff there that I just want to get rid of. So like a garage full of crap that I don't need mm -hmm. that I'm just going to donate because there's no reason to bring it to my new place. But I've had to schedule getting the guys there for the St. Vincent de Paul donation people or whatever. I just, you know, a lot of old furniture and stuff that I don't want to throw away. I'd rather donate, but I just don't need. So going through boxes of stuff and what I found was drunk 20 year old Andy did a terrible job of be, like cataloging nostalgia <laughs> so going through my garage i was like this is stuff i need to have in my life like every laminate from every tour and all my stage clothes and music video props and all this stuff that it when i was just dumb and screwed up all the time i would just throw it in somewhere you know yeah. so the one thing that's really been good is that i've kind of been able to like put together a nice collection of stuff from my career that as I get older, I'm happy to have, but I didn't even know existed in there. So it was kind of like a nice little surprise. It's funny when you find boxes like that, like I've had a, a few of them in my house, I'm going to try and clean this up. And it's like, I could just throw this entire box away because I haven't looked in it in three years. Sure. I'll never know what's in there. It doesn't matter. But right before I throw it away, I'll just see what's in there. And then right. next thing you know, dude, it's an hour late. I'm like, well, I got to keep that. Yeah. And get rid of this, and I got like instead of having the box thrown away, I've got half a filled box now. Yes, and that I, is exactly what occurred. It was, was supposed to be an hour of just making sure that everything was good to go to get donated. <laughs> Four hours later, yeah. I was hauling boxes from the garage into my old house that are now just in the living room, and I don't the 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 new people are taking over the house on Monday, which we've met and is nice and everything. But now I have to get everything out of there. That's just like. <laughs> Boxes of stage clothes, leather pants, and, you know, all this, like, stuff. It just, with for the uninitiated, and I don't, you know, it's not like when I would, I'm going to hand the keys off. By the way, I'm a rock musician, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. So if they were to walk in at any point, because they have access to the place, there's just piles of what looks like Kiss costumes everywhere. And, you know. S&M. Yeah, leather, exactly. Yeah. yeah, what's this guy into? Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start, Start saving, saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Picture this rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018, from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. 
I, you've mentioned it a couple times. I think I read it on your Instagram. You mentioned it was, uh, the drunk Andy and <laughs> your screw up time. Are, have you quit drinking now? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been about two years. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And you said you're 27, so yeah. 25, you quit. That's really young. Yeah, you know, it just, I realized when I was really, uh, when I was very young, I struggled a lot with anxiety and kind of issues of like, I wanted to do stuff all the time. And if I wasn't working and I wasn't doing something, I would start to get really kind of like spun out and feel weird and crazy. And so one of the reasons why I've always been so prolific and doing so much is that it's really important to me kind of for my my mind to just keep going and doing stuff. You know, I think a lot of creative people are like that. And I realized that I was using being drunk more often than not as a way of, of kind of like quieting myself down, which when I first started drinking heavily wasn't didn't seem as an issue. And then it became, well, now I can't not go on stage drunk because I'm better when I'm drunk on stage or I can't I can't oh, do wow. anything without being drunk because it's it's easier and I don't listen to all the voice. It was it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Essentially, right. I'm telling myself that I can't do this stuff without drinking. And then, you know, I had a lot of weird stuff when when we made our second record as our first first major label record. You don't realize if you're an adult talking to somebody who's 19 years old, you don't realize that maybe what you're saying could affect them. I had the producer who's a very nice guy, but he said kind of offhand you know, I had been drinking all day that day. And he said, what's different? Your voice sounds crazy. You got like a lot of emotion in your voice. And I said, oh, I'm up or whatever. And uh, he goes, that's good. You should do that every day. Like you should always get drunk before you record. And so that became in my mind, like, oh, that, that has to be that way. Like, yeah. Like, so now I have to do that. Well, then I have to do it live. And, you know, just made for, um, I was never someone who couldn't stop. I was never someone who couldn't, like, I wasn't like shaking if I didn't drink, but when I would drink, I would I would often black out, and then I would just feel terrible about myself, and then the whole cycle would start over again, and it was just, you know, it was a way of a coping mechanism that I was using incorrectly, and it kind of all came to a head where by the time 2014, early 2015 rolls around, like, I just wasn't healthy. I mean, I just wasn't. I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't eating well. I was doing no form of exercise or anything. I was essentially, like, they call it, you know, the skinny fat thing, where I was, like, skinny guy who was just, like, kind of, like, retaining water uh, and, you know, getting no nutrition. And it just kind of came to a head where I just wasn't feeling good. I looked in the mirror and just said, like, you kind of suck right now. Like, you got to do something. And um, so uh, summer of 2015, we did, Blackfield did Warp Tour, and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do this whole tour without drinking. First tour I'd ever done since I was like 19 without drinking. Wow. And that's a good three months. Yeah. And it felt great. I was like, oh, I look cool again. Like, you know, like everything. I might, I feel better. Um, And then it became, well, maybe I should cut out some of the crap in my diet. And then that became easier. And then, you know, I had a few slip ups every once in a while with drinking. But then after that, really after, I would say that after my wedding was, was the last time. And it was, it was literally the last time I drank was I believe I had some wine or whatever right before my wedding. And I was like, yeah, this doesn't really even, it doesn't do anything for me anymore. And it's not, I don't have that perspective of any kind of judgment towards any of my buddies. Cause you know, I'm, I'm in rock and roll. Everybody, it's a party world. I get it. Mm-hmm. But for me, stepping out of that and kind of making my life and world smaller and focusing more on like my own health and feeling better about myself, I think it made me better. I think it made me a better lyricist and better artist. And I think that this Blackfield record is better because it's the first Blackfield record I've made since we were on a major level. Like, I mean, of the five records, it's the first one that I really was 100% sober present and not drunk while, you know, singing. Right. Mm-hmm. On the last one, we did it with Bob Rock, right? And I was, I was so 
I was so entrenched in the idea of like rock and roll and being a you know, rock star and, and tragic rock guy who's going to drink a whole bottle of red wine just to write a song that it's not that it's not a good record. It's just that I feel like when I listened to it, I could have done better because I wasn't really putting gotcha. all myself right, into right, it. Right. So that's really it. Um, you know, and as it is now, I, I feel great. And, uh, you know, I, I try to work out every day and, and be the best version of me I can be because, look, we... We are very fortunate as entertainers that the people are interested in what we do. And I was squandering that by not being good to myself and therefore not really – I missed a lot of opportunities. I feel mm. like between 2014, 2015, there was so much that I could have done that I didn't do because I was busy being a screw-up. It's interesting uh, because it's a rare thing when somebody just takes themselves out of it. Like usually – it's rock bottom. You have to go to rehab because you're, you know, you're out of your mind. And, yeah. and but you just made the conscious decision. And I know you, you you follow wrestling. I don't know if you still follow now, but Jinder Mahal made mm -hmm. this transformation yeah. where he just became this muscle guy. Yeah. And it started because he got fired, and then he came back, and he was like not really doing much. He stopped drinking and really concentrated on the diet, and as a result, they end up putting the title on him. Yeah. So that, that you and him are very similar. In that I can't think of too many people that just go, I'm going to stop. Yeah. Not that you're forced to stop or you have to stop, you're going to die. It's like, I don't like this version of myself. Absolutely. And I have a lot of friends who are less fortunate in the way that they, uh, you know, really got to that point, mm -hmm. you know? And I saw that and I just thought, you know, I've never had, like, I haven't, this is my second day uh, in since I was about 13 that I haven't smoked a cigarette. Today? Um, yeah. I realized yesterday that it was 1030 at night and I thought, I haven't smoked it all today. Uh, and I've been trying to cut down on that because I've been a pack a day, pack and a half a day guy since I, I was like that. 13, 14 years old. As a singer too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it was just, you know, it was the last, when I stopped drinking, that was the last thing, right? That was like the, like, I'm still, I was smoking more to kind of mm -hmm. like compensate. And, you know, and then my wife, she also cut it out, you know, no drinking. And so both of us are just became chain smokers because now that's our one vice is yeah, that we're yeah, both yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. And we had, you know, we'd go out on the porch and we'd have a couple cigarettes and we'd, talk about something or whatever you know whatever it is just kind of passing time and it became so kind of normal that it started to get to the point where i'm like i don't know man like i'm 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 you know I, i'm at a point where i want to be a better singer i want to have more stamina on stage as a front man i'm trying to get healthier in every other way why am i still doing this, this probably the worst of the worst. yeah this is like why am i doing this thing that i know doesn't end well there's no success stories there's not a person who was doing kind of bad and then they started smoking and everything got better for them you know what i mean right. so it's like it's completely it ran counter to every kind of logical decision that I try to make. So um, I'm, you know, they say you shouldn't announce when you're when you're mm -hmm. trying to do something. But I've been I've been cutting down. I'm not saying oh I'm done. I'm saying that for me it's really cool because I realized that I had gone more than 24 hours without even thinking about it with smoking. And you know I started using um, the kind of like the e-cig thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know I know people have all kinds of opinions about oh it's worse for you than cigarettes. To me it's just. If I can get without the tar and all that stuff right now and I can just get by to where I don't need any of it at all, that would really be the best. But um, it's kind of hard to, to to do all this and also not make your audience feel like you don't care about the kind of rebellion and angst that you've always mm. felt. And it's a really difficult tightrope. And I hope that – this is why I, I try to put it out there is that I hope that people understand that the feeling of – you know, sticking it to the people that, that mess with you and the feeling of youth and rebellion is the thing that attracted me to rock and roll, not the feeling of screwing up my own life. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I got a little bit confused about that along the way because it started to become kind of one of the same. Hand in hand in a lot of ways if you allow it to, right? Yeah. But I still feel, if not more now, because I'm more myself than I was when I was on all the booze. You know, like we did that. I just look at like the times that I was awful on stage. And I just think, man, I blew opportunities. We did a tour with the Bench Sevenfold years ago where I could have gone out every day and tried to really entertain the audience and to really give them the best show. And instead, I got really drunk and tried to fight everybody in the crowd all the time because I was mad that they didn't like my makeup or my costume. And instead of playing 10 songs, we'd play seven songs because half the set is me calling out some guy. And all the, I mean, obviously the Golden Gods and all this other stuff. (laughs) Were you drunk then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Classic story. We actually talked with that uh, Josh Bernstein and I did a uh, Loudwire podcast and that story came up, how hilarious it was. I mean, look, the the feelings behind it were legit. I wrote the song about my grandfather and I wanted to, I'd written a speech I was going to give and I did, it's the wrong place for that. Yeah, there was a guy in the crowd that was heckling you and you you unleashed the fury on him. Because I was so mad. I was like, man, I want to tell this story about my grandfather just passed away like four months prior to that that I wrote the song about and now I can't do it because you're yelling at me and did you see Gene uh, a couple weeks ago in, in Providence, Rhode Island? No. So hold your thought. So yeah. just, just to segue in this, so my friend Brent Fitz plays drums for Gene sure. now yeah. on the solo band. So they're in, I think, Providence, and the mayor of Providence is going to give Gene uh, uh, like a proclamation, you know, like yeah, a, yeah. a key to the city or whatever on stage. And he's telling the speech, and there's a guy in the crowd going, Shut up! Play some music! Shut up! And Gene's uh, like, no. Who is that? Where are you? Up there? Hold on, sir. And he walks off the stage. And Gene's like nine feet tall. Sure, he's got yeah. the big uh, helmet hair and the yeah. shades. He's walking. And some guy's filming. He walks by his head and shoulders over everybody. Apparently, he walked right through the crowd, walked up the back steps, walked up into the balcony. And I don't know what he did to the guy. I don't know if he smacked him. I don't know if he got in his face. But then about five minutes later, Silence. he comes back down, oh gets back gosh. on stage. He goes, please continue, sir. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so there you go. You're not the only one. Yeah. I mean, that's just the thing, though, is like the, the stuff like that is funny. But. But, you know, personality-wise, what I realized about myself is that if you and I build uh, uh, anything together, we got Jenga blocks sitting on this mm-hmm. table, that kind of thing. I can work with you, and I, but I have this, and I think a lot of front men are this way. I have this thing where my version is probably, in my mind, going to be a little bit better than yours. And so no matter what, yeah. we're going to keep trying to make it just a little bit. I'm going to keep putting one more on top mm-hmm. to try to make it my version. That's something that regular me can kind of curtail and realize, hey, Andy, kind of being a jerk. Yeah. Drunk me is just autopilot, like, and if it doesn't go exactly the way I want it to, everything's going to blow up. And that's not entertaining. That's not the show that people deserve. And that's not what is why I started the 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 kind of idea of this band and why I wanted to talk about being this kind of different kid and why we went so far in the direction of the costumes and makeup and why I wanted to, we would get up. We would do radio shows and get up at 6 a.m. to do a radio show that no one's going to see us, but would get in full makeup and costume and everything because I wanted to elicit that we're, we know that we're kind of the rebels and we're different. And I know that you're going to look at us in a certain way, but our music and our message and everything is maybe going to win you over. And if it doesn't screw you, we have this army mentality. Um, that's what matters. Not me being a drunk jerk yelling at somebody who doesn't mm-hmm. like my band. So it's really just about... I know some people will look and go, oh, he's soft now because he's not drunk all the time. But I think in my mind, at least how I see it, it's I'm trying to give everybody a better version of me and not a jerk that's going to ruin their time. Well, and it's like you said, dude. I mean, it's very rare that, that the story ends well. If, because if you're talking about drinking on stage yeah. and drinking in the studio, like I drink a lot, but I never – and I'm not saying this A, B, C, or D. I never got drunk on stage or before yeah. a match or anything like that. And it seems to me when you get to that step – 
Now, what's to say that you're not going to, you know, have a drink when you get up in the morning? Whatever. I yeah. don't think at 25, 27 years old that drinking and getting drunk ends well as you get older because you probably just increase yeah. rather than stay the same. And I was breaking bones on stage all the time. I was doing all, all kinds of right. stupid stuff. You know, I have, I have Jumping nothing but dam. scar tissue on the lower part of my body here. I, 9, 10, 11, I don't have an 11th rib. It was it just that broken. You jumped off the balcony. Yeah. And hit the, oh God, I forgot about because that. Because I was, a, you know, I wanted to. Oh, dude, that was awful. I wanted to do something that I thought was entertaining, but I didn't have the dexterity because I was a drunk mess. <laughs> so, you know, like you want to try to do something that's fun and cool. Well, me now, I would say, you know what? Climbing up there, I could do other stuff that's entertaining. <laughs> Is that on uh, YouTube? Yeah, it's terrible. You guys got to look it up. He jumps off the balcony. You hit a road case right on your rib, and it's just like so ricochet you. I, I, I hit uh, a so uh, real quick an abridged version of this story, yeah. right? Um, drinking all day, doing promotional appearances. Where was that? It was so Hollywood and Highland, the big open mall area. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, there's you know like where Ripley's Believe It or Not is, and all it's like the the center of Hollywood. Busters there now or something. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is big open mall, and at the top of it are these weird statues of elephants and stuff. And so we're doing an open concert on Hollywood Boulevard, open to the public. There's tons of people there. It's a big moment, and I go song one, moment one. I want to do something that is crazy that's gonna blow these people's minds. And so me, in cowboy boots, and nothing but marble pillars around, decide that I'm going to try to climb as high up as I can towards those elephants and jump off and land on the stage magically, and it's going to be amazing. So I get about 30 feet up, and I realize I, this is not happening. Like, And I have no way of getting down because I just <laughs> climbed up, and I'm in cowboy boots with no traction on slick marble surface. So I just sit down, and then I'm like, well, this is not cool. Maybe I'm super strong. I wasn't. Uh, maybe I can just take my kind of arms and and I put them behind my back, almost like I was gonna lift myself up. You know, kind of using using my my wrists. And I thought I could catapult myself using nothing but the strength of my incredible wrists down 30 feet and I would somehow land like, you know, imagine like a backwards L. That's how I thought my body might land. What really happened was, of course, you're top heavy, especially, you know, when you're doing that. So I just tilted the other way and fell just completely down, landed about 15 feet down onto another marble pillar, smashed all the ribs oh. on that side. And then the security guard who worked there didn't know what to do. He's not trained. And he thought, well, the guy doesn't seem to be breathing. I'll do CPR. So he starts crushing. <laughs> and I can hear, like, someone stepping on bubble wrap. My bones. And I can't breathe. And I'm going, please stop. And he's. <laughs> oh, man. Pills are good. And I got back on stage and finished the show. I don't remember it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So that's, like, stuff like that is like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. Yeah. And moving forward, like, it used to be the joke with our fan base. Like, Andy would never finish a tour. I'd get hurt or get too sick or whatever else because I was drunk all the time. In Britain or something like in that? In Luxembourg, I split, I fractured my skull from. Right, right here to the base of my nose, yeah. which made me look like I had a crazy, like, like robber's mask on. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was just all kinds of stuff. I remember chasing you down the middle of Sunset Boulevard when you were running around going, like, anarchy or some shit. Yeah, like, Get over yeah, here. Yeah. I remember I had to pick you up, yeah. and I was like, oh, my gosh, he's really light. Yeah. It was you, yeah. It was you me, and Danny Warsnop. Yeah, He's yeah. also sober now, maybe. Yeah, and you know yeah. what's funny is Danny and I are going to go – I don't know if he I, – I know, I know for a fact that he has he's cut down a lot, if yeah. not sober. I know not that he's you know, really changed. Was, yeah. right. Um, he may be. I'm, I'm not sure. We haven't. He lives in in somewhere. Uh, I believe he lives over like towards Nashville area. Yeah, right now. yeah, yeah. Um, but so we're about to go on tour together in a few oh, weeks. So it'll right. be very interesting uh, for us all to get back because you know, for for our era of bands, I don't know that in our scene there were bands that more 
like partied crazy with alcohol and you know all that stuff than us in Aston Alexandria. We were kind mm-hmm. of like you know we wanted to be the '80s glam rock bands, and not in a tragic you know dark way, but in like a fun. We're fun, all having fun. Yeah, yeah, we wanted to we wanted to be the fun guys, mm-hmm. and so it'd be very interesting with everybody kind of in a different place in their life to see how it's gonna go. You I love know. you guys are sober and teetotalers in their t- twenty seven. Yeah, I mean you know when you live, <laughs> I think the thing is that. You don't need to be at a certain age to have said, maybe I've done enough of that. You know what yeah, I mean? Is, dude, when we're on the road, like being being road dogs, you live multiple lives. Yeah. You know, we live, you know, we do more stuff in 27 years or 47 years for me that people do if they're 47 or 77. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think it's hard living. And if you're drinking as much as you did, 27 or 47 or 60, it's a lot of alcohol. Absolutely. And sooner or later, you know, it's not good. Well, you know, and it just doesn't even jive with, like, what my, my heroes were. Gene and Paul were my biggest heroes. Right. And I just, when I was a little kid, I just thought, I want to be like them, you know. And you've never seen Gene a drunken mess anywhere, you know. And right. it, for all of his stuff, I'm not talking about maybe any other personal stuff that, that he has going on or whatever else. But just in a level of presentation of like being on stage is always he's always been a pro and given a show that you is worth seeing. Yeah, I can't say that I've always done that, mm-hmm. and I don't want to be that way. If people are paying money, particularly in this economy in this day and age, people coming out to a rock show to watch seventy, eighty minutes of a band playing on stage at a local house of blues near them or whatever, like they're worthy of a show. And at this level for us now, we have bigger venues, we have bigger staging, and yes, there's all kinds of cool stuff going around, but it's up to me to sound good. Because like the one knock has always been, oh, they're cool, but like Andy can't sing very well live or all that kind of stuff. And it's like, the truth is that, yeah, a lot of that is true. I wasn't really living up because in my mind, I thought, oh, I sound amazing. Of but <laughs> in, in, in truth, I sounded like a, a drowning frog or something, you know? Um, and I just, I want to give a good show and I, and I want to do my best. And I think that, you know, I've just been given such a cool opportunity. I get to make rock music for a living in 27. That's like, it's such an archaic and odd thing to say because of the way the world looks at rock music. I mean, we know because we're in the scene that we're in, right? But some of the world doesn't, they see rock music as 100% nostalgia based and not a current thriving, right. pumping right, right, right. thing. Totally. Um, we know that that's not true. And I just feel lucky to to get to do this. So why would I screw that up? and being like, oh, I need whiskey all the time to be a cool guy. Like that's what rock and roll is. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, you, you mentioned uh, asking Alexandra, and you did a movie with Ben, yes. right? Yeah. American Satan. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. A friend of mine, actually, you've uh, been very gracious. His daughter is a huge Andy fan, huge Black Veil Brides fan. You've had him. Yeah. Of course. Show his name is Ed, and he said we watched American Satan. Yeah. Andy was really good. I'm glad to hear that. He said the only thing we didn't understand is why they overdubbed your vocals. Oh uh, well, so <laughs> and I was yeah. like, okay, I'll ask him. Yeah. Um. So that's it's kind of a two part thing. Uh, of course, so tell us about the movie. Yeah. Okay. So the your movie first movie role. was uh yeah it's kind of interesting. When I first came here, I first came here in 2005 to Los Angeles, and I went to a uh, performing arts school in Cincinnati, and I was a, a drama major. I acted first because. When you're 15, it's very hard for people to take you seriously in a rock band. So I thought, I need to be on stage. I need to entertain. What can I do? I can act, maybe. And so the way I auditioned to get into school is actually kind of funny. I I didn't have a monologue because I didn't know anything about acting. So I did a dramatic reading of Dig Up Her Bones, the Misfits song, uh, as my as my monologue Brilliant. audition to get into the school. Um, so they would send talent scouts to the school on a pretty regular basis, and they they picked me as like kind of the weird kid that maybe they could find something. Cincinnati. With. This in Cincinnati, yeah, because in the Midwest. Particularly in the early 2000s, it was like all TV was about Midwestern, you know, 
kids that have that Midwestern look. And so obviously I didn't have that because I was wearing eyeliner and had black bangs in my face and everything. But they thought, he's kind of weird and has something about it. Maybe we can get him in something. So I came out here. And I started getting like roles as like the drug addict guy, right? Because yeah, because I was skinny with in you know, Los Angeles. yeah. So I did like commercials and stuff like PSAs. I did an anti meth PSA that's <laughs> out there, and um, so I started having a little bit of success doing it. And then I went back to Cincinnati because I couldn't really be out here for very long. And um, but it was always something that I thought, man, one day I'd love to get back to that. The band was always my first thing. When I got back home, I really kicked into high gear with Black Veil, and it became a big thing. And then ultimately when I came back out here, it was like, man, I'd love to have that opportunity. And I would tell friends of mine this and people that I kind of knew knew this. Well, one of the people that I've worked with for many years is Ash Alvidson, who is hugely into film. Obviously, his father was a director of Rocky and Karate Kid and so many other things. John Adelson. Yeah, yeah. And he's always wanted to kind of get more into films, and he he has run Sumerian Records for years and years, the label that signed – so many artists, and I've worked with him. He was actually my first booking agent uh, many years ago. Yeah, and Andrew Fire is on Sumerian Records. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we've always been close. We haven't worked together in, in a lot of years, but we're kind of like – I consider him one of the first people that really got behind me and wanted to, to be a supporter of Blackville. And so um, we're not on Sumerian, but – they have Blackfell plaques in the Sumerian offices and stuff because we were kind of like the honorary Sumerian gotcha. band because we were on another label. We were already contract uh, had a contract when we met him, but we just really loved him and got behind me. So it was always kind of like a thing where he's like, I want to get into films, and I wrote this movie, and I think you'd be great. you know. And it kind of like went around a little bit like that for that. And then maybe summer of 2015, he was like, we're going to do this. you know, We're going to make this movie, and here's the, the breakdown, and here's the script. And it, it all just kind of came together from there and it, he literally I mean look the character's name is Johnny not Andy uh, he comes from Columbus Ohio not Cincinnati Ohio uh, and he moves to LA to be a rock star and th- that's kind of where our similarities end in that he went down the path of you know meeting Malcolm McDowell and, and selling his soul and becoming oh, so it's a horror yeah movie. yeah and so he uh, he meets Malcolm McDowell who's our, our devil badass yeah. by the yeah. way that's pretty cool and, and Malcolm was so great so he sells his soul to the devil and becomes an internationally known star, gets really bad, ends up in jail, all kinds of stuff, big drug addict. It's, it's, gotcha. There's a lot of me doing very bad stuff in this yeah. movie. And it was just amazing. But the, the reason for the vocals uh, being different is that kind of two things. I'm under contract with Universal Republic. In order for me to sing on something, as you know, with labels, like they have to give their okay. Right. Even it's, People don't necessarily understand that like – the label, they don't own me, but when it comes to me singing on something, because I'm under contract, yeah. two contracts. I'm Andy Black and Blackville Brides. Like, I'm I'm double strapped down when it comes to <laughs> comes to that. Uh, they kind of have to have approval. And that would have been an unfair burden to have to place on Ash in the movie of like, hey, you got to buy my vocals mm-hmm. from the label or whatever. So early on in the process, he had already he had signed Palais Royale, who are a great young band that I actually had taken on tour around the same time. And the kid's voice is amazing, uh, really cool, interesting voice, and it just seemed to fit. And, and the more I listened to the songs and the more the movie kind of came together, it seemed like, oh, this is great. Like, you don't want to watch Johnny in this movie open up his mouth and sound like me. Because I have a very specific singing yes. voice, right? Yes. So it's like... Very recognizable. If, if you're a fan of me, you want to be able to have the suspension of disbelief. And if, I felt like if I opened my mouth and sang like Andy from Blackville or whatever else... 
it would take it away. So it really, you. it served yeah. also for me just like as an inexperienced actor to do it and go, this isn't me. I have to remember this isn't me. And then it made me kind of want to do different stuff on stage, different mannerisms to what I do. And I think it all worked out great. I know, you know, I know some people are like, oh, why is he singing? Why isn't he singing or whatever? Well, that but. makes perfect sense. And actually, I understand what you're saying, too, from a, from a character standpoint. You're playing yeah. this character. But if it's you singing, that's going to take you out of it. Yeah. Because, you, know? you know, when you're doing it, it's like a music video. You're hearing the yeah, playback. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. sure. That's what yeah. you're going to try. Do you want to do more acting? Love to. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, you know, it, it was just, I will say that artistically, it came at the right time for me too. I was in the kind of period where Blackfell was going on hiatus for a bit. I was just about to ramp up into the Andy Black thing, and I kind of just was home. And it was a really nice way of like my first project, kind of in this new lease on life that I had, and being able to. It didn't hurt that I was able to work like five miles from my house every day and drive back home at the end of the night yeah. and be with my wife and animals, and and then get up in the morning and go work again. And, you know. But it was weird, man. You know, places that, that you and I have, have hung out in in Hollywood, being there at like 11 a.m. with the sun out, you know, like you don't want to you don't want to be in the rainbow at like 830 in the morning with yeah. the sun out eating breakfast. You don't want to eat breakfast on the stage at the whiskey with everybody else in the crew So because we shot at all these places and it gave me a very eerie like you don't see the walls in those places. You know what I mean? I just did a shoot for Access TV in the daytime in the whiskey and you're right. It's, it's not meant to be no. there in the day. You're not supposed to see it. Yeah, it should just appear like after 8 o'clock. Yeah, there's and a then... certain like cloud of darkness that surrounds it that is supposed to be there and you're walking around all day. We'd be shooting in the Roxy in these locations and you're like, I've never seen it. I've been in here a million times. I've never seen it. Like, what is that? There's like some kind of a, there's like some kind of a mural on the wall of the whiskey, and I'm like, I never even noticed that before. No, I've been no. here 50 times. It might I be didn't a... even know those booths were there in the back. Like, we shot a scene there. I was like, what is this? And there's that side bar. I didn't yeah. know there was a bar no there. No one knows that. I've played it 10 times. They never saw a bar there no. before. No. So, um, you, we're mentioning Andy Black and, and Blackville Brides, and you, the new Blackville Brides album is finished. So tell us about that, because you mentioned the last one was produced by Bob Rock, which yeah. is a big deal. Uh, where did you go for, for this one now? You know, working with Bob, I've said it before, like, and I told you this when we were working on yeah. it. It's one of the sweetest, nice coolest, guy, yeah. most interesting and storytelling people of all time. I mean, we, I told you back when we were doing it, it's like maybe 40% of every day would just be storytelling. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so... Uh, I really enjoyed working with him, but one of the things that I really wanted to do was we had done a record called Wretched and Divine, which the song in the end that most people know is kind of it's our biggest big, yeah. hit. Yeah. Um, we did that with John Feldman, and I had just worked with John doing the Andy Black record, and I, I think that there was kind of a general consensus in the band of like, we'd really like to go back and do something that's much more, um, I, I don't want to say uh, dramatic, but something, we, it's not a concept record like that record was a concept record, but it's certainly more dramatic and big. And one of the things about the Bob Rock record was we're stripping everything down. We're doing a very basic hard rock record. And that's awesome and cool. But like one of the guys in the band, Jinx, can play every string instrument and can sight read. And I'm like, we're not utilizing mm -hmm. this cool stuff that we have. And why not go back and do something that is kind of really more on the dramatic side? And so working with Feldy is great. You know, Feldy's one of my best friends, and the guys in the band love him. And, and really, for us, the turning point in our career happened with him. The record that we made with him, and we made a documentary doing it, so fans have seen it. But um, for anybody who doesn't know about my band or, or me at all, the record that is kind of our, probably our most successful commercially was a record called Wretched and Divine, which is the one that had In the End, which yeah, is a song that, that most yeah. people have heard. Um that record was kind of a turning point for the band and not one that everybody in the band agreed with all the time because we went from making records that were straight up screaming, breakdown, screaming, chorus, crazy solo, crazy solo, wheedly solo, screaming, you know, chorus, 
you know, like really heavy metal Motley Crue to mm-hmm. we were kind of like, well, let's do a record that has a little bit more maturity. And Trent, that was the first record that I didn't scream. That was the first record where we kind of did a little bit more of not necessarily pop, but a little bit more of a, of a pop song structure. You know, every song wasn't eight and a half minutes long. Mm-hmm. Every song didn't have just breakdown, scream, guitar solo. So there was it wasn't like there was fights in the band, but it was kind of an uncomfortable period. And ultimately, it led to what was the most commercially successful thing we've done. And so by the time we did the record with Bob, we were all on the same page and we were all so into it that I felt like it was maybe time to kind of reestablish ourselves in kind of the world of doing something that was a little bit more broad and big. And, and we really enjoyed it, man. We took almost two years to make this record. I know it's been a while. Yeah. I mean, it, because we, I mean, it's fun to do it that way. You know, I know we can't do that every time, but we were given the opportunity to kind of like we had put out four records and two EPs in about five years. It was time to not just crank one out. It was time to, to take our time with it. And I think it, it, it it's really worked that out. That can really hurt you if you do that. I mean, I know even with our with the Judas record, we started writing that, I believe, January of 16. It didn't come out till October of 17. So yeah. it's almost two years. But I remember um, when Bullet for My Valentine did, um, was it Temper Temper? Is that the name yeah. of the record? Yeah. And that's when Matt... Tuck was like, okay, dude, we're gonna do, we're gonna write and record a song every day, yeah. and you can't do that. I mean, it's a song needs to be shaped and worked yeah. with and over. And I understand the concept of just getting there and banging it out, but I think that 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 record might have hurt them because it, they were at a certain level and it, it didn't transpire. You got to be careful in this day and age because it's like. David Lee Roth said more than ever, here today, gone later today. It's very easy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, here today, gone later today. It's yeah. very easy to be uh, you kind of supplanted by somebody else or another form of entertainment. Sure. The way that people consume so much now. And I think that one of the things that, and you know this when you're doing a record, is you, everybody goes in with a really romantic notion of like, I'm going to write 30 songs and we're going to yeah, pick yeah, the best yeah. one. Um, we've done that. And what we wound up with was a bunch of B-sides. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's great if you want to release later an uh, extra special bonus. Yeah. Vault. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it didn't feel necessary this time around. We did exactly the number of songs that are on the album, and we spent all of our time perfecting those songs. I think we maybe had two songs or three songs. That, well, I should be clear. We did more than just the number of songs that are on the record. We finished just the number of songs that are on the record. We wrote and thought, nah. You know, pretty early in the process. If something wasn't coming together... Why finish it? Why finish it? Which we've always done in the past. It's like, we'll just finish it because it'll see the light of day eventually and we'll put out this EP of substandard songs. You know what I mean? exactly. And so the the thought was just to do it... Because, look, I hate to be so, like... I don't want to... For anyone who doesn't know my band, they're just going to think this guy just criticizes everything that they do. (laughs) I... I, I know when I listen to the previous record, and this is no fault of Bob's or anybody else. It's just called Blackville Brides. Right. What's this album called? This this rec- record is called Vale. Gotcha. G-A-L-E. Uh, and that's Be Well, Be Strong in Latin. Um, it's also like a form of goodbye. The idea is that we have done all these records, and I've just, for me personally, as we talked about earlier, it was just saying goodbye to all this stupid stuff that I had built for myself, all these kind of constructs that I believed um, and then for the band, we're moving on. We're doing something new. We're we're saying goodbye to a lot of the the kind of stuff that we had we believed we had to be. You know, um, so this is not uh, goodbyes. And you guys, this is the last record. No, I mean, I think I think one of the things that's great about the album is that it really it feels like a nice it feels like a nice send off to the 
the kind of like story that we had written in 2012. We did a concept record in 2012 and it didn't have an ending. Mm. And so the song in the end is this really kind of open-ended thing and I never wrote a way of ending it. And we always said- Do a movie for it too? Yeah, yeah, and there's no ending to it. And, <laughs> and I always said, oh, we'll do a comic book and that'll be the way it ends. <laughs> And so I, we never did that, and I thought, we need to finish this story. Right. And so that's really what it's about. It's about finishing the story, and it's not. this is not a goodbye to everyone, we're done now. Yeah. It's about finishing yeah. the story that, that we started. Um, and so I think that fans are really going to like it. And obviously, you have a name like that, it stirs up controversy, and people saying, oh my God, this is definitely the last record. But that's that's not the intention. The intention is to, to put out an album that we're proud of and that we hope people will like. But... Um, yeah, I forget where I was going. We were just talking. You mentioned you were going to see some of the last record, the Blackville Blige, Blackville Blige record. Yeah. That it wasn't necessarily Bob's fault, but you didn't. You wouldn't think that our name would give people so much trouble. It's hard. By the way. It really is. Blackfield Brads is my favorite one. <laughs> we had a guy who said that we one? Were in Seattle. A local promoter many years ago said, uh, "You guys, the Blackfield Brads." And I said, "Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, we are." Um, well, listen, I had Virgil, uh, the Virgil uh, yeah. pro wrestling superstar, one, yeah. and seriously, not trying to take the piss. Like, How's Foggy doing, man? Uh, <laughs> I like that Foggy. How Foggy doing? I'm like, Foggy's uh, doing great. Yeah. So I think that should be next to Foggy Classic and Bradfield. Foggy. And Bradfield, was it? Uh, Bradfield, no, Blackfield Brads. Blackfield Brads and Foggy coming yeah. to a, a, a veteran's hall. It almost just sounds like a little bit of a southern accent on it. You it know does, what I mean? Yeah. Like Brads. Uh, so what I was saying is that the previous record felt a little bit like, and this goes to what you were saying about writing every day, right? We did the same thing. It started to feel like I was doing like, mad libs of myself with the lyrics mm -hmm. like taking things not even knowing that i was doing it but just taking stuff that i had already said and kind of placing it and i'm like that looks like a black Veil song let's record that you know what i mean and that's not good you need you need to be able to write something that you feel is genuine mm -hmm. so when you're writing this album um and now it's been two years is, is it exciting for you to kind of get back into that vibe because you mentioned there was a movie there was a is, is there been two andy black records there was one and now i am maybe what are we 12 songs into the the second one you're, you're like me you, you're working on diversity and building yeah. not just the blackville brides but also the andy beersack you know brand i like to do stuff and, and it's great and your, <laughs> yeah. your podcast is great i yeah. mean you're perfect for it i think i even talked to you about doing one a couple years ago yeah but now like the focus of the of the the the, the, the what brought you to the dance is exciting to be thinking like you're going black back into blackville brides yeah i mean mode it's, again? it's so cool like i we're going to – I realize that we haven't been in a room together playing music in nearly four years. What? Yeah. I you mean, haven't had a gig in four years? The beginning – well, let's see. No, no, no. Three years. It'll be wow. It'll be four years since the last release. It's been three years since we've been in a room together. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. But – Even making the record because you did it all at separate times? I'm, no, I'm just talking about – Playing a game. Playing a gotcha. song. I understand. Play, all of us playing – in a room playing uh, a set list together. Mm. I'm thinking more like, because we're going to, you know, we're about to start pre-production on the on the tour. Yeah. So we're going to be on a stage in a lockout space, you know, and people will be standing in front of us, adjusting lights, and we'll be playing like <laughs> we're playing a show. You know how it goes. Yeah. That's going to be so cool. Like, I can't wait. I can't wait to, for us to be absolutely terrible for the first couple days and to figure it out again. Because you know how it is. When you've been touring on a constant tour cycle, Rehearsal is just this weird moment where you're like, we know all this. Mm -hmm. Let's get together and make sure that we don't screw it all up. And it doesn't have that feeling of excitement. And then the new songs do, right? So now every song in the set you go, oh, well, let's play the new ones again. Can we play that new one yeah. again? For us now, after three-something years, every song's a new song in the set. I can't wait to play Knives and Pens right now. <laughs> like, you know, all of it is really exciting. Like, I'm excited to see the dudes, and, and we're family. You know, it's just the, the, fun. There's also nothing better than, like, when you do a record. Like, for example, I did my parts – 
for this record, January, February, March. And then it doesn't come out till October, and then you start rehearsing. And, you know, I don't remember how these fucking songs go or what the lyrics are, how I sang them. And the first time you play that new song, it's always it's like a baby walking. It's always a little shaky at first. Yeah. And you might have a little bit of screw up. I always look at Rich Ward because he's kind of like the MD of the band. It's like, well, well, that didn't suck. Or, boy, that one's going to, oof. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You have to play that what, 50 times more before we even think about doing it live. But once you get to that point, there's nothing cooler as a rock and roll band. It takes you back to when you were a kid setting up in your basement. You start playing, I don't know, You Really Got Me, wherever the hell it was. Sure, yeah. And it's like, oh, man, this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, lyrics... There's, there's, a, there's a tremendous amount of fear that goes into lyrics that I wrote remembering them somehow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think people don't necessarily know just because you wrote the song doesn't mean you remember what the hell you wrote. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, sure. there's songs that are seven, eight, nine years old that I, 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 you know, it's so funny the technology now. I put together a private uh, Spotify playlist that's our, our set list, and I sent that to everybody. <laughs> Usually, this is the first tour that we've ever done. Maybe this gives you an idea of how long it's been since we've toured. This is the first tour we've ever done where I didn't make a, a mix CD to give to everybody of what I think the, pl- uh, the set list should be. <laughs> because I couldn't, first of all, my laptop doesn't have that uh, yeah. CD drive. I couldn't even find blank CDs. I looked at Amazon, and they're like $68 for blank CDs. <laughs> it's, it's like, what are you yeah. doing? And so I was like, I guess I have to use real technology. Mm-hmm. So I had to make a Spotify list of our songs and you know there's do you do that do you put together a list and then listen to it and see how it sounds in the car and stuff there's there's yeah. some songs that i can't do that with because they're not uh they're not out yet so you know there's not you know the new stuff isn't on spotify so any of the new songs are but yeah like some stuff just to get a basic idea down and then i have to give it to like the guy who's doing the the video wall programming has to know how to animate stuff so like now, it's a whole different age man now i'm how, how, how big of rooms do you guys play like i know it's asking alexander that's a, is that a uk tour uh, so this is U.S. and U.K. Smart. That's a great yeah. bill. Yeah, Who I think closes? it's going to be great. Uh, we close, uh, sure. and and you know, but the thing is, like, it's we're both we're both going to get the same amount of time yeah. to play, and you know, it's it's a co-headline tour. What kind of rooms do you play? Uh, you know, it it kind of varies. I think it's going to be a lot of uh, you know, three to five kind of rooms. Uh, you know, and I think that that's you know, for us right now, it's we keep coming to L.A. the Palladium type of thing. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, uh, and and we're excited to get back. You know, if nothing else. Tickets have been selling well, but you know, there's that there's that kind of feeling of like, I wonder if people are going to come back. Like we've been, you know, we've been gone a little while. I wonder how it's going to go. It's hard. So. We we just put a, a tour up on sale actually today, and I got the numbers like the first day numbers, and you're like, like New York and Philly are almost sold out. Like yeah. oh my gosh, but Grand Rapids is in the tank. Sure, you know yeah, they yeah, always yeah. get that. Like yeah. oh right, like after one day, I'm already pissed off at Grand Rapids. Yeah, and super excited about Philly. And, yeah, and, you know what I mean. I like, totally understand because you always wonder like, okay, is this one going to work? Is this bill going to work? Is for us too like. We have the song Judas, which is I call it the Judas effect. It's taking us to a totally different level, and you can see that instantly in the attendance, in you know the amount of merch that you sell. So it's still scary. Like, is the Judas effect still going to be there, or is it over now? Yeah. It's like no, it's still building. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, after not being around for three years, I'm still wondering, like, is anyone going to give a shit? It's going to be interesting, man. You know, we're filming a video uh, on just in a few weeks, and that'll come out right about the beginning of the tour. And we're hoping that obviously the record does well and the single does well and all that stuff, but uh at this point you know i'm just i'm excited to get out there with the dudes and yeah. get on stage and we've got a really cool show with crazy stuff going on it's all around gang, us man. And, you know it's, it's, it's gonna be good that's great man uh as we wind down here uh what's your favorite song on the record is there a couple that stand out for you there's a few i mean you know when yes. when it's a new record it's like it's yeah. which one is it today? Yeah, yeah which one is it today um because I'm listening to it a lot to prepare for the uh the video the single wake up uh is is really cool um 
But yeah, so that song is is great. You know, there's a song called When They Call My Name, which is out right now on on Spotify. People have heard and stuff, and and it's on uh, iTunes if you pre. It's one of the instant grad tracks if you pre order the mm-hmm, record. Mm-hmm. A song called Outsider that's been out for a little while. Like there's a bunch that are just you know, it's it's hard because I listen to our records until they're out. Right, this has always been my thing is that I. I'll have it in my car, and I can't wait for other people to hear it. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like once it's out there, it's other people's. Especially now with um, with the streams and the Spotify, we talked about that. Like I'm reading, like the sales are good for a record, but the streams are insane. Yeah, it's like 10 million streams in you know a month and a half or whatever. And it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, like I'm. It's still weird for me when you actually can see those numbers because for technology as Shitty as it is for the artist, you know, if this was, you know, 1996, we might have sold 100,000 records by now, but it's not. But to think that 10 million times somebody's listened to these tunes, that's pretty cool. And that's why I'm like, there's... There's light at the end of the tunnel for musicians Absolutely. when you put a new record. It's not just a souvenir. People are listening, and they're consuming, and they're getting into it. There was a time, you know, I would say 2013 was the worst of it. Uh, yeah. Because... Even stuff like for us, you know, Hot Topic, which is a big audience, yeah. you know, for like people that are uh, kind of younger kids, especially. And that was particularly our audience has grown over the years and has, has gotten older and, you know, kind of matured with the band. But particularly in that time for us, they were going through financial struggles as a company. There was nowhere, nowhere really for us to put our record. The shelves were being taken out of everywhere. There wasn't this kind of boom in vinyl. There was no Spotify. No iTunes. You know, so Apple like, iTunes media. Yeah, there was a time where it felt like, oh my, this is over. Yeah. And so very for bleak. me now, I'm excited to see where it's going. You know, we mm-hmm. get we get all kinds of reports about the new songs. There's there's two songs on Spotify right now that are that are new songs that people are listening to constantly. And it's just like if nothing else, I know financially it's not as viable as it used to be, but to know that there's some way to know that people are finding your music yeah. and it's not just falling into the the pit of nowhere, um, I think it's not as it's not as bleak as it used to be, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. Last question: What's your favorite obscure Kiss song? So my drinking song used to be uh, <laughs> what was what is it? Who wants to be lonely? Was my oh, drinking song? Love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, love now that. that now I just uh, for a second I, I blanked on. I don't know why, but I used that used. To, you know, everybody has like their yeah. their like get amped up drinking song. It was always who wants to be lonely. I did such a funny one to choose. My song uh, at the end of every show when I come back to the dressing room, it's always tumbling dice. Okay, the stones. Yeah. Did you hear about the Kiss Screws with the Kulik brothers? Yeah, I heard it was amazing. I heard their yeah, the set think, was I think incredible. I texted you that maybe yeah. I was with Brent Fitz on drums and Todd Kern singing. Yeah. Dude, they did Turn on the Night. They did Who Wants to Be Lonely. They yeah. did uh, Unholy. I would love to hear Turn on the Night live. Oh, my gosh. You got to listen because Todd Kearns can sing. Like, he plays in Slash's band. And yeah, sure. He's another Winnipeg, but dude, he sings better than Miles Kennedy. It's like, dude, he nailed it. That high-ass 80s Paul Stanley so just good. screams. So, so good. Good stuff. Uh, does uh, Peter Chris's appearance in the uh, Sure Knows Something video still freak you out? Oh, yeah. We, this is like an inside <laughs> thing. We haven't talked about it. I don't it. think we have. We should yeah. end off with that. Yeah. yeah. So, so in the video. Yeah. So since I was a little kid, and when I was a little kid, this really started for me, I have been terrified of of Peter Chris in the part of the Sure Knows Something <laughs> video where he is uh, the, ah, uh, yeah. So there, it's their foreheads, and they're doing the Dynasty cover, kind of. Mm-hmm. But, like, he has no idea where he is. And there's something... 
Like now as an adult, I recognize that he's like high out of his mind, right? Yeah. But as a kid, the lifeless eyes. <laughs> like there's no way of qualifying what's going on right, as a child. Right. So I'm watching it going like, where is he? Like what's going on? Because he's not looking at the, like, look it up. You know, if you're listening to this and you're interested in Kiss at all, watch it in a different light. Think of how a child might see this <laughs> oh, in yeah. the early 90s on VHS. Oh, young Andrew yeah. Beer Sack yeah. would feel. Yeah. <laughs> Still terrified. You send me the, the GIF image all the time. It freaks me out. Dude, it's always a pleasure talking absolutely man. man congratulations all right the black veil bride's new album veil is out now and the guys are on the road with asking alexandria they just started their uk tour yesterday but they're bringing it back to the states february 2nd starting in worcester massachusetts get those tickets at blackveilbrides.com if you buy your concert ticket on the band's website you also get a copy of the new album that's a great value win 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 people roll up the rim to win roll up the rim to win get the new album Go see Andy and the guys live. You're not going to be disappointed. And speaking of going to see a live show and not being disappointed, Fozzie headed to Europe this week. We're starting our European tour supporting Steel Panther January 28th this Sunday at the Olympia in Paris. On the 30th, we're in the Mayor Theater in Hamburg. January 31st at Vega in Copenhagen. February 1st, Centrum Scene in Oslo, Norway. That's our uh, Norway debut for Fozzie. February 3rd in Tilburg, Netherlands. February 4th, Oberhausen, Germany. February 6th, Munich, Germany. February 7th, Luxembourg, uh, which is in uh, Luxembourg of all places. I've never been to Luxembourg before either. Stuttgart, Germany on the 8th. Then we're going to Zurich on the 9th. February 11th, we hit Spain for the first time. Barcelona. February 12th, Madrid, Spain. February 13th, Bilbao, Spain. With Steel Panther, don't forget all VIPs at FozzyRock.com. Come check us out. Even though we're uh, opening the show with Steel Panther, we're still doing our award-winning VIP. Uh, you get to see a meet-and-greet. You get to do a signing. You get to take pictures with the hall, everybody in the band, including me. I'll be there for sure. And we give you a little bit something special, a little mini-concert before the show, playing some songs you're not going to hear later on, a couple fun covers, all that great stuff. And then we return to the United States for the Judas Rising 2018 tour. Uh, uh, with Fozzie, Through Fire, Santa Cruz, Dark Sky Choir. We start February 28th in New Orleans, March 1st in Houston, March 2nd in Dallas, March 3rd in Lubbock, March 4th in El Paso, uh, and then uh, we'll continue on from there. So stay tuned right here to find out where all the dates are. Go to FozzieRock.com to find all the dates. That's just the beginning of the tour. We're going everywhere. We're going to Arizona, California, Nevada. We're going to uh, or, or, uh, Oregon, Washington. Washington, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, Maine, New Hampshire. We're going everywhere, man. So FozzyRock.com. Go check it out and check out all the great Fozzy VIP uh, options that you can do. And also check out all the options on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. We set sail October 27th and as low as $150. Hold your cabin at the ChrisJerichoCruise.com at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And once you book your cabin, your price includes everything. All right, all the concerts, comedy shows, live podcasts, meet and greets, autograph signings, uh, Sea of Honor tournament, all included with your reservation. You don't pay an extra dime for anything, including food. Uh, you'll be able to hang out with everybody on board, including Jim Ross, Jerry Lawler, SoCal Val, Mick Foley, Ricky Steamboat, Ray Mysterio, Raven, Conan, Disco Inferno, Shane Helms, Beyond the Darkness will be there, Colt Cabana, Mario DeRosa doing the Unprofessional Wrestling Show, Don Callis and Paul Lazenby doing Killing the Town, Brad Williams, Ron Funches, Jim Brewer doing comedy, Jim Brewer 
Brewer doing some rocking with the Loud and Rowdy, a great band that he has. Busted Open will be there. Dave LaGreca, Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, King, Fozzie, of course, The Stir, The Dave Spivak Project, The Darlings of Rock and Roll, The Cherry Bombs, Shoot to Thrill, the world's best ACDC female cover band, and Blizzard of Ozzy, the best Ozzy cover band in the world, and also Ring of Honor, presenting the Sea of Honor Tournament aboard the ship. Matches happening in the middle of the ocean, and the winner of the Sea of Honor Tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship shot in the future. Young Bucks will be there. The villain, Marty Skrull, Briscoe Brothers, Dalton Castle, Frankie Kazarian, Adam Page, Christopher Daniels, the American Nightmare, Cody, don't call him Rhodes, Cody's wife, Brandy, more to be announced. Big names coming up. And uh, Friday, speaking of big names, Dave Meltzer returns to talk as Jericho as we go in in-depth analysis of the breakdown of the Montreal screw job. As we do an in-depth analysis of the Montreal screw job. It was just over 20 years ago today that that happened. Dave's got a lot of details to share since he covered it and was very much involved. The uh, breakdown between Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Vince McMahon, the, uh, the, be- the end of one stage of the WWE and the beginning of another, the boom period that still lasts to this day, started by the Montreal Screwjob. Very, very intricate set of circumstances to lead to all the stuff that happened. In-depth look and discussion of the Montreal Screwjob 20 years later with Dave Meltzer coming up on Friday. So that's it. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah, boy!